The following talk was given at the Insight Meditation Center in Redwood City, California. Please visit our website at audiodharma.org. So the way I like to give talks in this particular class is to kind of explore a massage topic for a while and keep that thread going. Um, and so in the last weeks, I've been exploring the cultivation and maintaining of wholesome qualities, those qualities that support us in our practice, support us in moving in the direction of ease and peace in our lives. And this is an aspect of wise effort, one of the factors of the Eightfold Path. Um, and, uh, you know, so this, uh, this aspect of wise effort has two sides to it. It's got the side of exploring uh, what's difficult and letting go, exploring how we might let go of or um, avoid the difficult um, and a lot of that exploration comes through mindfulness, not by trying to repress or avoid, you know, the, the avoid there, the avoiding the unwholesome, is kind of more about understanding conditions, not when something has arisen, trying to stop it or to avoid looking at it when it has arisen. When it has arisen, our exploration is, is about now it may be it may be about what will support the mind to not be caught by that, and often that not being caught by it is a shift of perspective that comes with mindfulness and so something difficult is arising, an experience of anger or frustration, for instance, and the perspective of mindfulness um, allows us to not be kind of wrapped into that state kind of following through on it, acting out of it, but more allows us to recognize, kind of as we were exploring in the, in the guided meditation, what is the human experience of this? That's a very different relationship to that difficult state and has a transformative effect that supports the mind beginning to let go of that. And, in, and just the movement of stepping into the curiosity of, well, what is it like to feel frustration? What is it like for a human being to experience frustration? We are essentially letting go of being caught by the frustration. Maybe a little bit of letting go of believing that frustration is the thing that's going to um, kind of lead us somewhere buying into it or, or trying to figure something out connected with that frustration is what's going to lead us somewhere. You know, that, that um, there are times and ways that, you know, our frustration or anger, these unwholesome states are kind of signals to us that maybe something needs to be uh, addressed in our lives. And that is <clears throat> not something that we are trying to avoid or, or push away. But the, uh, the activity of kind of following through on that, those mind states may not be the most skillful way to address whatever it is that those states are kind of pointing to. And so this is that side of, of uh, wise effort, is, is looking at exploring being within the, uh, through mindfulness, meeting our difficult states, and also learning about them, you know, that certain situations perhaps lead us into those states, and it may be useful to kind of um, navigate our way through life that will support us 
not to get caught by those states. And then the other side is the side of cultivating and maintaining the wholesome. I talked last time, uh, I reviewed a kind of a teaching simile that the Buddha offered that um, it's a simile of a cloth that when the cloth is has stains on it um, and you try to dye that cloth to put it into a vat of colored dye when you put the pull the cloth out you'll see that it's not evenly dyed it's got bla- a blotchy appearance because the stains uh, the, the stains in the cloth will take up the dye in different ways than the the, the cloth takes it up the white the, the the kind of the unstained part of the cloth and so it doesn't have a, a beautiful appearance because the, the, the cloth is stained. And so he encourages a, um, a kind of, in, you know, kind of an analogy of this to our minds that the, um, you know, the reactive states of mind, states based in greed, aversion, delusion, those are like stains in our mind. And when those are present, it's difficult for the mind to take up the wholesome qualities in a, what might be called an even way. And yet this, this analogy points to a lot of our work being done. So the, the, he talks about like working with the cloth to um, um, use soap and to kind of clean the cloth of those stains. And then he said, and then you can put that cloth in the dye and it will take up the dye evenly. And so that image, <clears throat> in, that, in that analogy, the, um, the cloth is kind of like our minds. The stains are like those uh, reactive states based in greed, aversion, delusion. And the, um, uh, the dye is like wholesome qualities. And in that analogy, there's, a lo- there's kind of an activity or an energy, an engagement, kind of a you know, rubbing, perhaps, in the uh, removing of the stains. But it's much less energetic when you drop that cloth in the vat of dye. There's a kind of, uh, the way the cloth just kind of absorbs, pulls in that dye. And in that analogy, the dye is kind of like wholesome qualities. And so as our minds become less reactive, there's, it, it's not, I, I would say, you know, you do have to do the work of putting the, dye, the cloth into the dye. I'm going to turn the volume down a little bit, so hopefully the popping uh, goes away. We'll try that. Is that still okay sound-wise, volume-wise? How about that? Is that okay? Okay, maybe we'll get a little less popping this way. So in this analogy, um, the wholesome qualities, uh, you know, the, the, um, it does take a, a little bit of effort to put the cloth into the dye. But then you don't have to do a lot of work there. But, so this to me is kind of like an analogy around the, uh, the work or the effort that we need to do around wholesome qualities. <coughs> There can be, you know, in that analogy, you know, some, with some dyes, perhaps, a little bit of swirling is useful. 
So, you know, just taking a stick and swirling might be useful. So that, that may be a little bit of engagement. Sometimes it might be um, the, the, the cloth can just be dropped in and it will just pull in the dye. <clears throat> and so the, the different points to different ways in which we might encourage cultivating and maintaining wholesome qualities. The analogy um, kind of pointed to, in a way, how natural it was for the mind to begin to take up the wholesome qualities. You know, it's like once this work of letting go, of abandoning the, the reactive states happen, the, the, the simile says, very naturally what will happen then is confidence will arise. Confidence in the practice and from that, you know, kind of confidence motivates an activity or an engagement with the tools of practice. And that then very naturally results in more wholesome qualities arriving, arising. And so the, I t- I, when I talked last time, I, I said, it, I find it useful. And this to me is kind of like the part about putting the cloth in the vat of dye to kind of familiarize ourselves with some of the wholesome qualities so that we can begin to recognize them in our minds. And um, it's kind of like, uh, you know, we've got all these different vats of dye. It's like, hmm, what's this one like? You know, if I, if, if I you know, what, what's this quality like? You know, what is this one like as it, it gets pulled into the mind? And so um, having some uh, kind of familiarity with these wholesome qualities, what they're like, maybe a little descriptions of them, uh, which ones are useful, um, and, and what actually is the definition of a wholesome quality. That's, that's worth understanding. And so this is kind of where I'd like to, to explore today. There are two wholesome qualities that I feel like are at the ground of the entire project that we're doing of looking at our minds and in, inclining towards what helps us to let go of greed, aversion, and delusion and find uh, the fi- have, help the mind find its way towards ease and peace. And those two uh, qualities are wisdom and faith. And so this is, um, I think both of those words need some, need some explanation. Um, you know, wisdom's kind of, at least for me, you know, wisdom was like, okay, what do you mean by wisdom? You know, I, I worked with a teacher for a number of years, <clears throat> still work with him, Saira um, Utejaniya, and he uses the word wisdom more than any other teacher that I had worked with previously. And he talked about it as, as an activity of mind. He talked about it as, you know, notice when wisdom is arising in your mind. And I'm like, what? What does that mean? Um, and, and so, you know, it's kind of like I began an exploration of, of wisdom as something that can be recognized, not just as a kind of information. I think often we think of wisdom as just information. In the, in the Buddhist um, uh, teaching, there's a kind of a, a teaching about wisdom where there's three different kind of levels of wisdom, um, and, and, and first of all, we have to look at what we are, what is the wisdom here associated with the Buddhist teaching? Uh, because, you know, there's wisdom about many things, you know, we could say, well, there's wisdom about how to drive a car, uh, or there's, you know, wisdom about how to do your work, <laughs> uh, at a, maybe a more emotional level, there's wisdom potentially around, 
relationships, you know, how to engage in relationships, wisdom, maybe cultural wisdom around how to um, engage with people in, in um, uh, kind of collective dialogue. I mean, so, so there's lots of different kinds of wisdom. In the Buddha's teaching, the main wisdom actually, or one of the key pieces of wisdom that the Buddha points to that's useful for us, is to begin to understand this distinction between states of mind that are based in greed, aversion, and delusion, and states of mind that are not based in greed, aversion, and delusion. And that states of mind based in greed, aversion, and delusion will... uh, uh, create suffering in our own experience and will tend to put suffering out into the world. They will tend to have us engaging in ways that harm others or create divisiveness, does not create um, um, you know, ease and peace in community. And so the, the, um, you know, this kind of exploration around what's helpful and what's not helpful is kind of along this, this we can call this the ethical dimension of the, Buddhist, of the Buddhist practice, is understanding that greed, aversion, and delusion, when those are operating in our mind, tend to create suffering, not only for ourselves, but for others. <clears throat> and if our kind of aim in and this, this is, this is you know, the practice. The Buddha's, the Buddha's question when he went on his own journey was, is it possible to be free from suffering? And what does it mean? How might that be possible? And if we think about suffering as being what's happening externally, you know, the, the ways in which people treat each other and, um, you know, the, the unpleasantness that happens based on earthquakes and fires, you know, that is not going to go away. You know, that, that just the kind of, um, uh, ob, you know, just objective kind of unpleasantness that happens in the world. And so this, this is, <clears throat> this was his exploration. You know, it's like, okay, well, that stuff's not going to go away. Can there be a heart that is not suffering in relationship to it? And in his own practice, the, one of the key understandings was when there's greed, aversion, and delusion in the mind around, as in relationship to what's happening, there's a kind of uh, stress, we could say, a stress in our systems, a suffering in our systems. And that as the mind um, uh, shifts and lets go of greed, aversion, and delusion, there's a different, that different relationship to, uh, to what's happening in the world creates a very different experience. It doesn't mean that we're not experiencing unpleasantness. It doesn't mean that we're somehow floating above things. Quite the contrary in my experience. Actually much more in the world, connected and, and feeling the joys and sorrows of my fellow human beings and what's happening in the world. And so that the um the but but it's a very different experience when the mind is not constricted around what's happening and instead there's a kind of a quality of open heartedness and so this quality of open heartedness is almost a um 
to me, that's the, the kind of feeling that's at the base of many of these wholesome qualities. Non-greed, non-aversion, non-delusion. It, I mean, it's, it, it's interesting to me that the, most of the, in, in many of the places the Buddha distinguished uh, unwholesome from wholesome um, more through in the, uh, in the unwholesome it's the presence of greed, aversion, and delusion. And the unwholesome are states based not in greed, aversion, and delusion. That's his, his way of, of defining this, this distinction. And then there are some specific uh, wholesome qualities that are, that are identified, you know, wisdom and faith and joy and kindness and um, equanimity and tranquility. <laughs> so there's a lot of them that are defined. But this, the, kind of the, the distinction between wholesome and unwholesome is presence or absence of greed, aversion, and delusion. And so understanding this difference is kind of the key wisdom and, and understanding that the um, states based in greed, aversion, and delusion take us to suffering, will create suffering in our own experience and in relationship with others. And that um, as we step away from that, we find there's less of that suffering internally the more we release greed, aversion, and delusion, the more ease and peace there is. And less putting that, um, putting that in the world, there's also more ease and peace in our relationships. So this, uh, this distinction between what's wholesome and what's unwholesome is a foundational understanding. And so there is a way in which that is information. You know, so this is one level of of what is talked about as wisdom in the Buddhist teaching. It's just the information. And just to get a sense of, okay, well, what are you talking about when you say wisdom? Okay, we're not talking about the wisdom of playing basketball here or you know, driving a car. What are we talking about? And so at that level, it is information. And then the next level of wisdom is much more kind of um, an internal reflection and processing And so this is where it becomes more a sense of experience. Still in an intellectual almost, well, it's kind of almost between thinking about it and experiencing it. So there's a a place where we start to reflect on that description of what is wholesome and what's unwholesome as basically the, the definition of wisdom we're working with today. There's some other definitions of wisdom that kind of happen as we begin to touch into the deeper uh, forms of wisdom. Um, um, but for right now, let's just focus on this one. And so we start to reflect on this. We think about it, you know, does this make sense? Does it make sense that greed, aversion, and delusion are worth examining, letting go of, Um, do we see in our own experience that when there's greed, aversion, and delusion in our mind, that it creates problems or issues for ourselves or others? There are times when when delusion is so strong that we would say, no, you know, this this kind of aversion in my mind, this is what's kind of making me get where I want to go or get what I want or get rid of what I don't want. And so, you know, sometimes delusion is so strong that we can't even see greed and aversion as being 
a, a, a source of suffering for ourselves in the world. And so, um, and then yet at some point, if we keep hearing these teachings, we may begin to understand. And through kind of the encouragement to keep watching, what are the consequences? What happens as you act on these states of mind? And begin to see kind of maybe the stress around holding to a particular perspective connected with greed, aversion, and delusion. And so this um, kind of the next level of wisdom, we begin to reflect on does this make sense to me? And that, that begins to, to kind of point to the other quality that I brought in as being foundational to the whole uh, project that we're doing here, that of faith. And so faith, you know, I think faith also needs a little bit of um, uh, context in terms of what we're talking about in terms of the, the Buddhist practice that what we're what we're engaged in here many of us have a relationship with that word faith that is connected with a a prior um religious uh or or history you know for myself the i was raised in the methodist church and the word faith was connected with faith in god faith in and and i'd say in many in many um religious contexts the word faith is connected with that connected with the the sense of faith in in god and and that uh, faith in um, something that isn't necessarily provable or um, tangible in this practice you know it's almost like the the faith begins in something that we can't prove for ourselves. I mean, the, the, the faith here is like, is this, is this worthy? Is this kind of idea of recognizing greed, aversion, and delusion as being the, the place where we get stuck and we get caught, where suffering results when we act on greed, aversion, and delusion? Does that feel like something worthy of confidence for our minds. That's actually a definition. Um, I looked this morning in the, in the dictionary. You know, the, many of the definitions of faith do bring in the religious side of it, but there are others that have a more um, um, non-religious definition, um, too, that I pulled out. Strong confidence in something or someone and uh, the other one, belief that something deserves to be trusted. And this, uh, to me, is kind of in the realm, this, this second definition in particular. They both uh, relate to my own experience connected with um, faith. And the, the, the word faith doesn't resonate with me so much as the experiential quality, but the other two words, confidence and trust, resonate as an experiential kind of sense. A sense of, hmm, you know, okay, I don't quite... And for me, early on, hearing these teachings, so there was a hearing a little bit about, okay, this, these qualities are not so helpful. And uh, so connected with that is also another bit of, of wisdom in the Buddhist teaching, which is, and here are ways to guide the mind to let go of greed, aversion, and delusion and move in the direction of cultivating more wholesome qualities. 
And the, the key instruction that I heard right at the beginning was, it's useful to be aware when these difficult states are arising. You know, just know they're there. Now, in my own kind of sense of what might work and what might not work, this was not a very intuitive teaching. Um, my first reaction when I, because somebody sent me a book and said, here, this might support you. <laughs> you know, you're going through a lot right now. Here, try, try reading this. This has really helped me. So I got this book. And um, uh, one of the things I learned, I read the entire book and didn't understand a lot of it, but one piece I got was this idea of when there's anger arising, try just being aware of it. And my initial thought with that is, isn't that just going to make me more angry? And so I did not understand how that would work. And so there wasn't a confidence in the teaching itself. Okay, I didn't, I, you know, in that reflection, when I talked about the, the information comes in and there's a thinking about it, in the thinking about it, I did not get how it would work. And yet, my friend said, this has been helpful. And so that was kind of what I latched on to. I mean, so there was a couple things going on in my life at that point. And one was, I felt like I'd hit bottom. I felt like I'd tried everything already. It's like nothing had worked in terms of my own finding a way towards happiness. And this was a different approach. I'd not heard this approach before, trying to be aware of what's in the way, what's making me miserable. Be aware of what's making me miserable or actually be aware of the miserableness. That's a difference, right? It's not be aware of what's making me miserable. Be aware of the experience of miserableness. Not be aware of what's making me angry. Be aware of the experience of anger. That is a different kind of, a different kind of approach that is foundational to the, the wisdom the Buddha's teaching. And so, you know, I didn't quite get that. I can now articulate that difference, but I didn't quite get that uh, as I was reading it. Um, and, and yet, you know, it's kind of like my friend said, well, no, this is useful. It's like, okay, well, I've tried everything else. I might as well try this. You know, it can't hurt. The book says it works. My friend said it was good. And so that, to me, as I look back, is like that was the beginning of faith. That was the beginning of confidence and trust. It didn't feel like confidence and trust at that point. What it did feel like was, I guess I'm willing. I guess I'm willing to try this. And that kind of willingness, there's a feeling of willingness. You know, it's not like I was going into it, not going to work, not going to work. It's like, okay. It's like, I'm kind of scientifically oriented. Let's just set this up as a hypothesis. See what happens. And so that is a, is a way in which I've kind of entered into faith. Almost like, well, you know, it's like the wisdom is like a scientific hypothesis. Let's run the experiment. That is a way that, that faith can begin. That, just that sense of willingness. And then with that willingness, so, so again, it does take something to have faith in. Faith is not a quality that is independent. You know, it's like the, the strong confidence in something or someone. That something or someone is, it's not just like random. Faith, oh yeah, I have faith. It's like 
what do we have faith in? That's an important kind of a, a connection. And in this case, the, the faith is, is in potentially, you know, the, the understanding of what the Buddha taught and then the confidence or the, at least the willingness to give it a try. And so this is a place where, you know, so faith is necessary uh, or confidence, enough confidence, willingness is necessary to step into action with respect to these teachings. Without a sense of willingness or a sense of, hmm, okay, at even the sense of, well, there's a hypothesis, let's run the experiment. You know, so the, the wisdom is kind of the hypothesis and the faith in that case is the, at least the willingness to run the experiment. So we're not going to act, we're not going to step onto the path, not going to engage without some kind of faith, some kind of willingness. And then what happens as we do that? Again, there's just such a dynamic interplay between these two qualities, wisdom and trust, confidence, willingness to engage. As we are willing to engage with the teachings, we may, um, I've, I've met people for whom it doesn't seem to work and they end up going another direction. But for many of us, what happens when we actually explore this shift, not being a, paying attention to what makes me miserable, but being aware of being that experience of miserableness. It didn't take me long to see what happened with that. That there was some kind of almost um, you know, underlying tra- transition that happened internally from the willingness to be with the anger, the willingness to be with the miserableness, a kind of a a shift that over the course of even the first few weeks of this exploration, I began to notice there was much less being caught by those qualities of mind. When I started this practice, when I first stepped into it, and for me the entire first few months of my practice were in daily life. I didn't do this in sitting meditation. I did it in my daily life. Just curious about, okay... Well, the book says I should know when I'm angry. So whenever I'm angry, I'm going to try to be aware of it. And um, uh, initially, you know, and this is what had been my experience, that I had been just so um, wrapped into the anger that I was basically non-functional. You know, just like sitting, swirling in the anger in my mind. And I... um, you know, the first time I woke up to it, that's what was, what was going on. I was frozen at my computer, just raging internally, not able to even know I was sitting in front of the computer, trying, you know, at work. <laughs> and so this is how it had been affecting me. And that first time I woke up to it, it's like, wow, okay, I said I'd be aware of this. I have no idea what that means, but wow, this is painful. That's about all I could tell in that first experience. And yet, in the retrospect, what happened in the next few moments is like, well, well, what do I do with this? It's like, I have no idea what to do with this, but I guess I go back to work. And that's what happened. It's like something in the mind let 
you know, that awareness, and I could not have articulated this in that moment, the awareness of that, let me set it aside and go back to work. And so there was a letting go of that. And over the next few weeks, I began to experience much less of that non-functional kind of anger. You know, just not caught to that depth. Not stuck in that way. And so very quickly in this process, um, that simple activity within a few weeks, that simple activity of just, okay, well, I guess I'll notice when I'm angry. Let's see. I have no idea how that works. It was very clear to me over the next few weeks that it was doing something. You know, it was helping my mind not be so wrapped in that state. Able to be much more uh, fluid in the world. It wasn't gone yet by any means. It definitely kept coming up. The miserableness, the anger. And yet it's like the mindfulness helped the mind kind of notice it happening a little earlier so that it didn't have the chance to spiral out of control. And so this experience, that initial willingness led the mind to recognize this is valuable. This is helpful. And within a couple of months, there was an even, even more kind of depth of that recognition of how helpful it was. And so the, um, the confidence, for me initially, just a, a willingness, became much more of a sense of, oh, I see, I mean, I don't quite understand how it works, but I see that it is helpful. And so there was much more of a willingness to take in the, the sense that something or someone's valuable. You know, this deserves to be trusted. Still a little bit, um, you know, tentative in that trust. But uh, much more willing to engage. Much more willing to um, continue the exploration. And so this, um, the, the, the confidence that, was experienced, it started with just a reflection, right? Just the, just the kind of thinking about, well, well, will this help? I don't know, I don't see how it will, but let's see. Once that kind of process began and the, the mind stepped into the trying it, there was a different kind of feedback loop that happened. A feedback loop that confirmed the value, that helped the, the mind to understand, yes, this is something that feels more trustable. And the more that, that, there's, that I've practiced with this, the deeper that trust has grown. And so the, the kind of the experience of the faith in my practice has that quality of confidence or trust that feels verified. That feels like, yeah, I know that this is helpful. You know, when I'm caught, I get caught by some... Um, uh, you know, state of reactivity based in greed, aversion, and delusion. At this point, there is no question in my mind that is not helpful. You know, it's like that. And, and the mind kind of moves in the direction of, okay, this needs to be attended to. So, the, uh, you know, so that confidence of the, the value of meeting the greed, aversion, and delusion with, with mindfulness is very strong. There's, there's not doubt that that is the direction that will lead to more happiness. And so this, 
this kind of um, weaving, essentially. It does feel like a back and forth weaving between the, the wisdom, that kind of sense of, well, what is it that will lead in the direction? You know, what's the direction we're headed? And the, the confidence to engage the, the, with the wisdom kind of just first generally reflected on the willingness to engage with it, it deepens our, our sense of confidence and trust, which then um, kind of steps us back into, uh, I'm more willing to engage, more willing to um, explore these, these teachings and what the Buddha is pointing to. And so the, the back and forth between those two, the wisdom supports the willingness to engage. The willingness to engage supports not just an intellectual understanding of what the Buddha was pointing to, but the more kind of sense of um, kind of an understanding that's in our bones, an understanding internally why it's valuable and how it kind of works rather than it having to be something we're thinking about. It becomes much more kind of visceral that we understand this, uh, the nature of what leads us to suffering and what leads us to more happiness. And this to me is also a piece, I'll I'll kind of end with this piece and then open it for discussion. Um, The teaching here um, greed, aversion, and delusion leads to internal suffering, external suffering. This is at first something perhaps we're asked to believe, but it is, you know, it's kind of, in many ways, it is not just something that's useful to believe, it's, it's like it's a description of the nature of how human beings work. It's not something that's useful to believe just because it's like, I don't know, somebody said it's good to believe. When we act out of greed, aversion, and delusion, our system experiences tension and tightness. We feel this as soon as we start looking at these states in our mind. As soon as we notice a shift from that kind of, you know, being aware of what I'm angry about to being aware that anger is happening, that shift begins to help our minds to recognize, well, when we're aware of what we're angry about, generally our mind is kind of like not really attuned to what's happening here and now. It's kind of attuned to, well, when, you know, that person realizes I'm so angry at them, they're going to be really miserable. You know, it's like my mind was doing that kind of projection. And as soon as I turn to, uh, well, what does it feel like to experience anger? Immediately, the experience was, that hurts. Wow, that's painful. And so the immediacy of the experience of states based in greed, aversion, and delusion lets us understand in the moment this is not conducive to well-being. It is not conducive to the direction of ease and peace in our lives. It takes a while for the mind to begin to understand that that there are other motivations that can help us to, to kind of, as I said earlier, that... Um, these uh, 
states of mind are often kind of like warnings or signals in terms of things that are happening in the world, you know, it's something to take care of. There's, it takes a while for our minds to begin to understand that those are not the only motivations that will support us in taking care of ourselves and support us in, in navigating the world. And so there's a little bit of a of, of beginning to trust that, to have confidence that, yes, as I let go of aversion, it's not going to leave me as a passive, like, you know non-functioning being in the world. It actually creates the space for different motivations, like compassion, wholesome motivations. Wisdom and compassion can inspire us to act in the world. And that's, a, that's, that's something that we begin to trust more fully also as we uh, engage with this process. And so the, the wisdom that's described, uh, especially around this piece of um, what creates suffering and what leads to the mind having more ease and peace, this, this wisdom is, in my kind of experience of it, it has been confirmed more and more, is, is just a description of the nature of how human beings work when we engage in greed, aversion, and delusion. And it's like that greed, aversion, and delusion we are experiencing in the moment is suffering. When we become aware of it, when we turn to that, we see that suffering immediately. And the, uh, the ways in which that promotes action in the world tend to promote division, tend to promote um, uh, harshness and not... Uh, not unity, not a sense of um, non-harming. So the, the description of wisdom, the, the wisdom that the, is pointed to in this teaching, is not um, something that is separate from nature. In fact, the, another, another way to you know, explore this is like, well, so the Dharma is essentially what we are, are picking up. Um, the teachings of the Dharma are the wisdom that we are exploring, having confidence in. And another word for Dharma is nature. And so what we're looking at is the nature of our minds, the nature of, kind of the human uh, realm and how it... Um, how it unfolds, how it, how it um, tumbles forward into uh, more suffering when we're acting out of these kind of constricted patterns. And so the, the wisdom that we're asked to have trust in is the wisdom of the nature of our minds. And the nature of our minds is also to get caught. And so we do have to kind of, um, you know, begin to be willing to explore, you know, from this perspective, do, does the mind want to have more happiness? Does the mind want to move in the direction of ease and peace? If so, it's not useful to be caught, you know, to, to be driven by these qualities of greed, aversion, and delusion. There are some... some minds. I understand uh, 
there are apparently some minds, and, and you know, in many ways, this kind of reflection back to, well, what is the experience when there is something based in greed, aversion, delusion arising? We feel the, the kind of tension or tightness with that. We might feel also when we... Um, put that into the world we also have an empathetic response when somebody we see somebody who's suffering you know we 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 see um somebody suffering and we feel that that there's a very natural kind of mirroring that happens in our human system but i do understand there are some people who have a a kind of a, a maybe some brain damage or something not quite right in their brains that they don't have that empathetic response I understand it's a pretty small number of people but for those people who, who do not have that sense of empathetic response who cannot feel the suffering of others this practice may not touch them you know it may not work because um, it, it does take this kind of you know touching in you know most of us when we turn towards our experience when we actually notice somebody's suffering and we turn towards, well, what does it feel like to be watching somebody suffer? A lot of the times when you know, we kind of like try to shut down, it's like, I don't want to see that. I don't want to look at those pictures of the bombing in Syria. I don't want to see it. You know? And yet if we open to the experience, we feel, we feel it. And this is, a, this is the way we are designed. And so this is the Buddha was pointing to, actually kind of aligning with the truth of how we are designed. You know, our, the, the nature of our minds as human beings. When we become curious about greed, aversion, and delusion arising in our mind, when we become, you know, kind of attuned to these more wholesome qualities, the mind begins to release those unwholesome qualities and take up the wholesome qualities. So really the wisdom in this um, teaching to me um, becomes, you know, it, it moves, it shifts from being something I have to just believe at first, like at the beginning. It's like I have no idea how that's going to work, but I'll believe it. You know, I'll, I'll, pl- I'll play with it. I'm willing to let it be a scientific hypothesis. And the more we engage, the more we explore, the more we directly look at our experience, like a scientific experiment. Like that, that hypothesis begins to feel less like a hypothesis and more like, yeah, I'm seeing the nature of what's here. And so it feels more like a confirmation of that, a verification of that wisdom. And so it's no longer a faith in something that feels like something that just has to be believed it becomes a confidence in what we have directly seen and experienced. And that that kind of um, feedback between wisdom and confidence is what really kind of is the engine in some ways of our path of practice. So there's a few minutes if there's any comments or, or questions. Thoughts, reflections, anything.
So it's on, yeah. No, when I pressed okay. the button okay. again by okay. accident, so it wasn't oh. on anymore. But <laughs> so I really appreciate your exploration of faith and how you came to that faith, because um, two or three years ago I was reading Bhikkhu Bodhi's book on the um, the Eightfold Path, and the, I got really stuck on the first chapter, which was about faith. And I think I read it three or four times and, because it seemed so important, but I don't think I ever really saw or understood a way to actually get there. Mm-hmm. And the distinction between thinking about what it is that's making me feel this way and actually just experiencing it... Not like I hadn't thought about it and hadn't thought about what I'm experiencing. I have, but somehow that making that shift uh, and and having that start bringing more faith it, it seems like a very important and relating it also to what's happening in daily life and the things that I read or see on the news and how do I become aware of that and what where will that lead me in terms of how I choose to engage with that yes. and when I choose to engage with it and yeah. what I do with it. Yeah, oh, I think you. a lot of the times our, our kind of resistance to the 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 kind of the, the perspective of letting go of like anger for instance. It's like, well if I'm not angry, why would I do anything? You know, why would I why would I, you know, engage in kind of taking a stand in the world if I didn't have anger. And so that's a little piece of, we begin to recognize, you know, it's like as, as our system kind of touches into that experience of anger, we see actually it's kind of crimping. It's kind of, it's taking up energy. You know, as, as that anger starts to release, it's like well, there's actually some energy freed up that can be put towards engagement. You know, so it's, it's, it's it's a it's a little kind of it's delusion in our minds that has us believing anger is the way I'm going to get something done or greed is the way I'm going to get something done. Yeah, the delusion is kind of the underlying belief that that's the only way, and so it does take some trust. It takes a little bit of like, oh maybe okay, let's see what happens if I like. Can I can I step into just being aware of it without acting on it and see what happens? And as I've seen, it's like. Yeah, as that begins to fall away, like the motivation to engage comes from different places. And so that, that piece of trust, may, that may be a little slower to, to kind of kick in than the, the seeing, you know, beginning to see, oh, it's actually useful to notice this. You know, what's the difference? What happens internally? But then we might just feel like, but, but I don't, I don't want to let go of this because... You know, it feels good here, but it's not good for the world if I let go of this. And so that's a little bit of a deeper wisdom that we begin to see. It's like we, we begin to, I, maybe that's the first thing we begin to see. You know, I, it may happen differently for somebody else, but you know, it may be that they begin to see that, yes, when I don't speak out of anger, yeah, it doesn't, it creates much less junk in the world. But, you know, the, those of us, you know, some, of, some people engaged in a more, um, you know, activist approach. It's like, well, if I let go of this, then my whole kind of like engagement in the world would just stop. And I'd just like to propose it's not true. <laughs> 
And, and so that, but it is a, it's like a different level of faith there. So it does feel like it comes in layers or levels, the confidence. And so it's useful, I think, to recognize, well, where do I have, where does it feel like there is some faith? Where am I willing to engage? And then, and then watch what happens, you know, what, what unfolds. And there are times like where we have to start with like, I have no idea how it's going to work. Somebody I trust said it works. So maybe I'm willing to run the experiment. And that's how many of us begin. You know, it's like somebody I trust says this is helpful. And, um, you know, that's actually important. Um, it's, uh, it is said, I mean, it's said that the Buddha understood this kind of just through his like run the experiment. He didn't have somebody telling him, yeah, this is useful, go this way. He had people telling him, no, you need to develop really strong concentration, transcend the suffering of the world. And he's like, that's not what I'm looking for. Let me look and see if there's something else. And so it, it is said that he kind of found this, uh, this understanding um, through the support of teachings, but also in his, in his own kind of exploration. It's also said that many of us would never find this without having kind of an external source of the teachings. And that's certainly true for me. You know, I never, never would have gone this route on my own. And so for many of us, a little bit of that faith, it comes from borrowing the confidence in others. Like my friend, the friend who sent me the book. You know, she, she said, this has been really helpful for me. I I knew my friend. I knew she wasn't like a woo-woo type person. It's like, okay, I'm going yeah, I'm going to trust my friend. So sometimes that's the beginning. Yeah. And it's time to stop. So thank you for your attention.